Welcome back to another edition of the Red Leaf Fitness Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you stories, interviews, and conversations about living a healthy, resilient, and productive life. I'm your host, Sean Blinch, and I want to thank you for making time to listen to this episode today. And if you like what we're putting down, we would love it if you would follow, rate, and share this podcast. All right. Now let's get down to business. Okay, I'm just gonna start. Just gonna start. Just gonna. Just gonna start. So here I am, flying solo on this one. So poor you for tuning in, thinking there might be someone, but found out that it was just me. But I'm jumping on here because um, I had an idea. I was like, I'm really inspired about some of the things that I'm reading lately. And I thought, hey, this is a week where I schedules couldn't line up, couldn't get a guest for my the show. So I thought, um, I have an idea. I'm going to read something. And if anybody that knows me, um, you can hear that important little coffee. I think these things go along. They go together. If I'm going to be talking. There's going to be some coffee. It's, it's black decaf. 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 That was weird. I combined decaf and coffee to decaf. Anyhow, I digress. But anybody that knows me uh, knows that I'm really into Ryan Holiday, uh, and uh, uh, particularly his book, um, The Obstacle is Way. But he's also written uh, a lot, uh, a lot of really, really good things that have gone a long way for me. And uh, in particular, you know, ego is the enemy, and uh, stillness is the key. And I, I bake these three books into my morning routine every single day, uh, I will listen to them, and then when I'm when I'm done listening to one of them, I move on to the next one, and I just list, listen to them constantly. And every single time I listen to it, I get something new out of it. And um, in no particular order, I uh, I thought I'd flip open the one that I'm listening to and, and reading right now. Ego is the enemy uh, for probably the third or the fourth time, um, and just share. And I don't know where this will land, but um, I feel great every time I listen to it. I feel like it's vegetables for my brain. And I really feel that way. And after I listen to it, I uh, somehow I, I just feel a little bit better, sharper, more present, more humble. Um, you know, I sort of put myself in check. Um, but this whole book uh, is called uh, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. It's an international bestseller, and uh, I think he's really bright. So this is one particular chapter that I like, and uh, let's go through it together. So it's called Beware the Disease of Me. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, who am I? Just grab my glasses here. 
not spring chicken it used to be. I'm fumbling around, but I'm probably not going to edit that out. So if you're listening to this, I'm sorry about that. So jumping back into it, <clears throat> there were great allied generals of World War II, Patton, Bradley, Montgomery, Eisenhower, MacArthur, and Zukov. And then there was George Cartlett Marshall, Jr. Although all of them served their countries and fought and led bravely, only one stands apart. Today, we see World War II as a clear fight in which good aligned itself selflessly against evil. The problem is that victory and the passage of time, passage of time have obscured the all-too-humanness of the people who are on the right side of the fight. That is, we forget the politics, the backstabbing, the spotlight coveting, the posturing, the greed, the ass-covering among the allies. While the other generals protected their turf fought with each other, and eagerly aspired to their place in history, that behavior was virtually absent in one man, General George Marshall. More impressively, Marshall quietly outpaced all of them with the magnitude of his accomplishments. What was his secret? Pat Riley, the famous coach and manager who led the Los Angeles Lakers and Miami Heat to multiple championships, says that great teams tend to follow a trajectory. When they start before they have won, a team is innocent. If the conditions are right, they come together, they watch out for each other, work together toward their collective goal. This stage is called the innocent climb. As a team starts to win and media attention begins, the simple bonds that join the individuals together begin to fray. Players calculate their own importance. Chests swell, frustrations emerge, egos appear. The innocent climb, Pat Riley says, is almost always followed by the disease of me. It can strike any winning team in any year at any moment. And does with alarming regularity. It's Shaq and Kobe unable to play together. It's Jordan punching Steve Kerr. Jed, Judd Buechler, I don't know his name. And Will Purdue, his own team members. He punched people on his own team. It's Enron employees plunging California into darkness for personal profit. It's leaks to the media from a disgruntled executive hoping to scuttle a project he dislikes. It's nagging and every other intimidation tactic. For us, it's beginning to think that we're better, that we're special, that our problems and experience are so incredibly different from everyone else's that no one could possibly understand. It's an attitude that has sunk far better people, teams, and causes than ours. With General Marshall, who began his term as a chief of staff of the U.S. Army on the day Germany invaded Poland in 1939 and served through the entire war, we see one of his victories we see, a, we see one of history's few exceptions to this trend. Marshall somehow never caught the disease of me, and in many ways often shamed it out of people who did. It begins with his balanced relationship to rank, an obsession for most people in his line of work. He was not a man who abstained from 
every public show of rank or status. He insisted that the president call him General Marshall, not George, for example. He earned it, right? But while other generals generals regularly lobbied for promotions, General MacArthur advanced over other officers in the pre-war years, largely due to the aggressive efforts of his mother. Marshall actively discouraged it. When others began to push for Marshall to be chief of staff, he asked them to stop because it makes him conspicuous in the army. Too conspicuous, in fact. Later, he discouraged an effort by the House to pass a bill awarding him rank of field marshal, not only because he thought the name field marshal, Marshall, would sound ridiculous, because he didn't want to outrank or hurt his mentor, General Pershing, who was near death and a constant source of advice and guidance. Slight pause for a coffee sip. Now, if you're still with me, it gets better. Can you imagine, in all these cases, his sense of honor meant turning down... Oh, I thought I skipped a line. Can you imagine, in all these cases, his sense of honor meant turning down honors and often letting them go to other people? Like any normal human being, he wanted them only the right way. More important, he knew that however nice they would be to have, he could do them while perhaps others could not. Ego needs honors in order to be validated. Confidence, on the other hand, is able to wait and focus on the task at hand, regardless of external recognition. Early on in our careers, we may be able to make these sacrifices more easily. We can drop out of a prestigious college and start our own company. Or we can tolerate being looked over once in a while. Once we've quote-unquote made it, the tendency is to switch to the mindset of getting what's mine. Now, all of a sudden, awards and recognition matter, even though they weren't what got us here. We need that money, that title, that media attention. Not for the team or the cause, but for ourselves, because we've earned it. Let's make one thing clear. We never earn the right to be greedy or to pursue our interests at the expense of everyone else. To think otherwise is not only egotistical, it's counterproductive. Marshall was tested on this to the extreme. A job he'd trained for for his whole life was up for grabs. Command of the troops on D-Day. Essentially, the largest coordinated invasion the world had ever seen. Roosevelt let it be known that it was Marshall's if he wanted it. A general's place in history is assured by his feats in battle. So even, <clears throat> excuse me, so even though Marshall was needed in, in Washington, Roosevelt wanted to give him the opportunity to take command. Marshall would have none of it. The decision is yours, Mr. President. My wishes have nothing to do with the matter. The role and the glory went to Eisenhower. It came to be that Eisenhower was, in fact, the best man for the job. He performed superbly and helped win the war. Would anything else have been worth the trade-off? Yet this is what we regularly refuse to do. Our ego precludes serving any larger mission we're part of. What are we going to do? Let someone get one over on us? The writer Cheryl Strayed once 
told a young reader, you're becoming who you are. Oh, yeah, I remember. I, like, I love this. The writer Cheryl Strait once told a young reader, you're becoming who you are going to be. So you may as well not be an asshole. <laughs> One more time for the people in the back. You're becoming who you are going to you you're becoming who you're going to be. So you might as well not be an asshole. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's good. This is one of the most dangerous ironies of a success. It can make us someone we never wanted to be in the first place. The disease of me can corrupt the most innocent climb. There was a general who treated Marshall poorly, essentially banishing him to some obscure postings in the middle of his career. Later, Marshall surpassed him and had his chance for revenge, except he didn't take it. Because whatever the man's flaws, Marshall saw that he was still of use and that the country would be worse off without him. What were the thanks for his quiet suppression of ego? Just another job well done and not much more? The word for that is one we don't use much anymore, and it's magnanimous. It was a good strategy too, of course, but mostly Marshall was gracious, forgiving, and magnanimous because it was right. According to the observers, as high up as President Truman, what separated Marshall from nearly everyone else in the military and the politics is that never did General Marshall think about himself. There is another story of Marshall sitting for one of the many official portraits that was required of him. Every, <clears throat> after appearing many times and patiently honoring the requests, Marshall was finally informed by the painter that he was finished and free to go. Marshall stood up and began to leave. Don't you want to see the painting? The artist asked. No, thank you, Marshall said respectfully and left. Is that not to say that managing your image isn't important? Of course not. Early in your career, you'll notice that you jump on every opportunity to do so. As you become more accomplished, you'll realize that so much of it is a distraction from your work. Time spent with reporters, with awards, and with marketing are time away from what you really care about. Who has the time to look at a picture of himself? What's the point? As his wife later observed, the people who saw George Marshall as simply modest or quiet missed what was special about the man. He had the same traits that everyone else had. <clears throat> Ego, self-interest, pride, dignity, ambition. But they were tempered by a sense of humility and selflessness. It doesn't make you a bad person to want to be remembered, to make it to the top, to provide, yourself, to provide for yourself and your family. After all, that's all part of the allure but there is a balance. Soccer coach Tony Adams expresses it well. Play for the name on the front of the jersey, he says, and they'll remember the name on the back. When it comes to Marshall, the old idea that selflessness and integrity could be a weakness or hold someone back are laughably disproven. Sure, some people might have trouble telling you much about, <clears throat> sure, some people might have trouble telling you much about him, but each and every one of them lives in a world he was largely responsible for shaping. The credit? Who cares? And that's the end of that. 
this book is filled with, uh, you know, these tiny, you know, four or five page little pearls. Um, and you know, when I'm sitting in the car and, you know, I hear something like that, these things don't naturally flow out of me. And I don't know about you, but for to, to have these things as a constant reminder is, is a bit of a true North, like it sort of, um, aligns a compass for me. And I kind of think about that as I walk in the door at Redleaf and just try to put myself in check a little bit and just sort of remember why I'm showing up here today and what I'm supposed to be doing and, and how can I, how can I make this class or this session, um, the best. And, you know, I never, uh, achieve a hundred percent success. And I never have a full day where I just feel like I absolutely nailed everything. I always walk away feeling like I could have done better. You know, I should have said this, this was the right cue at that point. Um, you know, I, I didn't spend enough time talking to this person or, but it, it gives me something, at least it's something. And, uh, if you liked this little uh, format of just hearing a little snippet out of uh, out of what Sean's reading, then uh, then let me know. And uh, every now and then, I'll I'll drop a a section of a chapter or a short chapter into here, and uh, hopefully it lands. You know, hopefully it lands, and uh, it means something to you. And if it does, I would love to chat about it. Um, but. Here I am, flying solo, signing off for Wednesday, September 22nd, 1246. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening.